Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. So guys, we're here on Conspiracy Normal, and Serfiel is here. Yes, sir. Manning the ones and twos. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. And uh, we have on the line, we have a guest that um, actually through their media relations person um, approached us, and that's uh, Julie Ryan. And Julie is a... You are a medical intuitive, a medium. Uh, do, am I getting that correct? Yeah, I say I, hi, everybody, by the way. I'm a medical intuitive and psychic. Okay. And you have a book out that's uh, since 2017 that's called Angelic Attendance. And uh, this is uh, a subject that I've been wanting to kind of talk about for a, for a while now. Um, about kind of like near death. Well, I guess it's not really a near death experience, more like a death experience, but the things that happen to people while they are on the deathbed, I guess you primarily deal with people that are in a hospice environment. Not necessarily. I, I deal with people who are dying and there's a lot of information out, Adam, to your point about the near death experience and, a lot of information out about what happens after we're dead, you know, what happens in the spirit world and stuff, but not much, if anything, that I could find about what happens as we're dying. 
And that's the thing that most people are afraid of. You know, am I going to fly or fry kind of a thing mm-hmm. based, based on <laughs> how they were raised, you know, religions and cultures. And I think a lot of people, especially as they contemplate that we're all going to die at some point, you know, am I, am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? And oh, by the way, what happens as I'm dying? And that's really what my book's about. Okay. Well, let's get something like your background. I mean, has, has this always been an ability that you have had through like your entire life or have you kind of had to like kind of train yourself to have this ability? Great question. No, I, I have learned how to do woo woo. I say I'm a, I'm a businesswoman and an inventor who learned how to do woo woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. So I like that. That's nice. Yeah. I'm not one of those psychics guys who's had dead people chasing her since childhood, or if I did, I didn't know it, let alone what I would have done about it. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you hear about these psychics and they're like, my, you know, grandmother showed up at the end of my bed when I was three years old and I've been able to talk to spirits since. And, and I think we all have the ability and we all have the ability to learn how to do this work that I do. Yes. Yeah. I believe so as well. I mean, uh, it's, it's an interesting concept because I've, I've, I've met some people that, that will say that, yeah, they have since birth basically have been born into it. But I've also um, talked to someone that has said that they, they, they've had to train themselves to do this. So I think Mm -hmm. that these are like innate I guess for lack of a better term, powers that that people have. Like you can kind of, you can be born with it or you can kind of develop it into like your own kind of like sixth sense in a way. Well, I think that we're all born with it. Yeah. And all of us have had experiences where perhaps we thought of somebody and then we ran into them out of the blue or they called us within a short period of time. And we said, Oh my gosh, you won't believe I was just thinking of you. Well, guess what? That's psychic ability. Sure. And we've all had situations where perhaps we've had a dream and it felt so real. And, and maybe it was about somebody who we lost who died. And I tell people if, if it's a dream where the colors you're super vibrant and your it's like your senses are heightened and sometimes the hair on the back of your neck or your arms is standing up that's not a dream that's a visit yeah and and most people if you start talking to them about this kind of thing they'll either tell you about a situation that they've had happen to them or some story they've heard about something that's happened to a friend or family member of theirs sure uh Talking about in dreams, I mean, if um, have you ever encountered like a loved one coming to you in a dream? I haven't necessarily because I I'm totally conscious when I communicate with them. Gotcha. And and in my book, I talk about the first person with whom I communicated telepathically was my paternal grandmother. But I was awake. It was in the middle of the day and she visited me. And so I was able to communicate with her. And that perhaps is just because I didn't have anybody close to me die before I started studying this woo-woo stuff. 
So okay. that that may have something to do with it. Nobody close to me has. Uh, certainly, there are people in my family that have had dreams about my sister died in 2010. And we buried her on her 50th birthday, guys. It was awful. Mm. She had a brain aneurysm, and it was just so heart-wrenching. Very, very sudden, very out of the blue. And uh, and both her husband several times and my older brother have had visits from her. I just, I just call her in whenever I want to talk to her. Yeah. Because of the abilities that I've been able to learn. But they, they of course, were on the phone with me as soon as the sun rose to tell me about their experience. And interestingly enough, her husband, when he called me, he had this visit from her and, and he dreamt that she was sitting on the living room couch. And he said to her, what are you doing here? And she said, well, what do you mean? What do you, what do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> and he said, well, where have you been? And she said, what are you talking about? And so he was relaying all of this to me and he said, and then I came downstairs and I was walking into the kitchen and he said, the hall closet light was on. He said that hall, I haven't been in that hall closet in probably five years and it has all her stuff in it. Hmm. And I said, she was just letting you know that she really was there visiting. Right. So, yeah. It's yeah. A- do you think, since you have honed these abilities over time, and I'm, we're going to get into some of how the, the, what you did to do that, but it's more natural for you to just like to access these kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, realms, but for someone else mm-hmm. that maybe has not honed these abilities, maybe be these, the deceased or the departed come to us in, in a dream state. Right. Right. And that's how they usually show up. I think also people see out of their corner of their eye a deceased loved one or sometimes a pet that's recently yeah. died or or ha- is deceased and they immediately discount it and they think, oh, I'm just imagining this. Or they'll, they'll think they smell somebody's perfume. Uh-huh. Uh, my son in my book, I tell the story about my son when he was at 10 years old and in fifth grade, I picked him up at school and he got in the car and he said, mommy, I smelled Nana's perfume today when I was taking my math test. And my mother, his grandmother had died several months prior. And I said, well, maybe Nana was there helping you with your math test because she had been a teacher and a principal. Right. And that was yeah. so random for this child to say that. And, and I think other people will tell me that they thought that they'd smelled their loved one or they thought that they felt them snuggle up next to them or they felt their deceased animal get on their lap or jump on their lap or mm-hmm. jump on the bed mm-hmm. or something. And they and they are feeling that. They just immediately discount it because they think, oh, I'm losing my mind. But they're not. They're just picking up psychic ability. You know, they're picking up the energy from that deceased loved one or pet. Yeah, I've I've always found that interesting about pets, especially. Um, yeah. In the way that animals are always in our house, we leave, we go to work, we go do something, whatever. But animals, dogs, cats, whatever, whatever have you, um, they are always there. 
So in a sense, they become kind of like the spirit or the protector or the guardian of the house. Yeah. And people are, and, and when people, you hear that a lot. When people lose a pet, whether it's a dog or cat, they always feel that presence is still there. And this whole idea that, you know, we as humans, we can leave kind of like an imprint of our environment. If you hear about like residual hauntings, that whole idea. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that those animals as well can leave an imprint on their environment. And oh, we they can, absolutely do. Yeah. yeah. And so people feel, you know, you, I, I've heard that so many times and from people that I've worked with or whatever, that they will feel like the cat jump up. Because it's just a familiar feeling to feel that. Yeah, when one of our dogs died when I was a child, I remember my mother saying, she was a white German shepherd. And I remember my mother saying, I keep thinking I'm hearing her. Or, you know, I hear her footsteps or I hear her nails on the hardwood floors and on the tile floor. And, yeah. Well, I know now that she really was hearing her. She She wasn't imagining that. But I think... Children especially have the ability to the age of about six or seven to perceive paranormal and spiritual things, if you will, because so often we'll hear about a child saying, well, that's Johnny, my imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. And the parents will or the teachers or the grandparents or whomever will say, well, honey, that's just your imagination that that doesn't really exist when in essence, Johnny. Johnny, the imaginary friend, really does exist. It's just the adults can't perceive him, but the child can. And then what I find is that around the age of about six, seven, eight, the filters start getting put in place. And so yeah. unless unless the child is encouraged in continuing to talk about what they see and what they perceive, then then they start to discount what they see and they start to doubt it themselves and then it the ability gets shut down why do you think that it happens around that age and 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 it's interesting because you you hear about the children that will see ghosts um Mm -hmm. will have the imaginary friend um that they are much more in tune to because i guess the prevailing wisdom is is that they are much more closer to the spiritual world because they just came from it but there is this it's this interesting phenomenon also too with like the reincarnation stuff where children will remember like a past life and then around the right. same age around like five six seven they will that will start to fade and right. is it is it just something that is based in us maybe physiologically that at that age that we we kind of got to start being more the, is it uh, being more like, um, we got to start becoming like a, maybe a miniature adult in, in, a, in a certain fashion. Like, is that like, like maybe like an evolutionary or biological kind of imperative? Well, two answers to that question. First of all, to your point about little children remembering past lives, absolutely. They, it's yes. on any the things they remember and the things they're able to talk about that can be be corroborated with historical documents is just incredible. Yeah. First yeah. time I ever heard of that was probably, oh my gosh, 30 plus years ago when I was watching Oprah or an Oprah tape, probably a 
probably from my VCR. Do you guys know what that is? Oh, yeah. yes. Was, we're familiar with VCRs. Got, got one right VCR. here. We're actually looking at okay. one right now. Okay. Classic right. forehead VCR. There you go. And and I remember Oprah had this little three-year-old little white boy on, and he talked about being a black soldier during the Civil War. Yeah, I think I know what you're a, talking about. Mm-hmm. He was in a regiment, I think in Virginia or something. He knew his dog tag number. He knew who his commander was. He could tell them absolutely pinpoint accurate descriptions of battles and stuff like that. There's no way this child couldn't even read yet. There's no way this kid would know it. And some of the things in order to corroborate his story, I mean, they had to really dig through records to find it, but everything really matched up. And I have several friends who have grandchildren who have said one in particular comes to mind Walt is his name, Walter. He is the cutest little guy. He, when he was about four, he, don't you love that name, Walter? He said he was in the water at a lake house and his mom was playing with him and she was holding him and he said, mommy, you're my favorite of all my mommies. And she said, well, honey, I'm your only mommy. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, no, mommy, you're my favorite of all my mommies. And again, she reiterated, well, honey, I'm your only mommy. And he said, no, mom, how it works is babies are born to moms and dads, and then they grow up, and then they die, and then they are born to new moms and dads, and then they grow up, and then they die, and then they're, you know, he's explaining it to her. And he said, and you're my favorite of all my mommies. So she's on the phone with her mother. Her mother then's immediately on the phone with me going, what's up with that? And I said, he's just, he's just telling things the way they are. Along the lines of the filter, however, guys, the way that works as I perceive it, and I've been doing this work for over 25 years now, so a long time. What I have, have uh, been told by Spirit <clears throat> is that our filters come into play, like I said, five, six, seven, eight, probably seven and eight more so. Because where our spirit wants to experience what it wanted to in the meantime in this lifetime. So we choose where we're born, when we're born, to whom we're born, so that we have the basic trajectory of our lives so we can experience whatever it is we come into experience. And if we remembered all of our past lives or even some of our past lives, it would interfere with that experience. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I think that also combined with what we talked about just a minute ago about parents and grandparents and teachers and other other adults saying to the child, oh, honey, that's just your imagination. That's not really real. So we choose as a spirit between lives, I guess, that we can come back to this place and we choose the life that we live. Absolutely. Yeah. I access, I access past lives for people all the time. I yeah. had a couple of clients today and we, we can access past lives and sometimes they have an effect on this lifetime and we can remove that one past life nuance and uh, it's really fascinating, the stories. I mean, they're endless of 
that I can tell you about where we've accessed someone's past life and it's, we get names and where they lived. And one guy comes to mind recently, he had been an admiral in the, the British Navy and he was commanding a fleet during some big battle in the late 1700s and it, it involved France and I got his name and all this other jazz. Well, we looked it up online, guys. And there was all this information on this guy. It was wild. Interesting. It was wild. Yeah. So would a part of that be then that adversity or even some tragic circumstances have some kind of inherent value and lesson for for the soul on this journey? This is a thing for a lot of people that I think is hard because, you know, the, I, I've heard on another radio show, one of the hosts has a real hard time with some of this stuff. Like, why would you choose to go to, like, some third world country and then get killed? And, you know, like, that's like that's a big thing because some people, like what Seraphiel is saying, like, you know, is adversity another just choice that we make? Or does it serve some some kind of greater purpose? Yeah, it does. But in the spirit world, there's no judgment. So they see an experience that we perceive as horrific as just an experience. And they perceive an experience that we see as joyful as an experience. There's no... Yeah. There's no one's good, one's bad kind of a thing. It's just an experience, and they look at everything as fun. Is that now, just because it's it's temporary? So because they're acknowledging absolutely. from that, they're acknowledging absolutely. from that eternal position that it's temporary. So they don't have all the suffering associated with it. Well, not only that, but but when we're in spirit form, we're in pure bliss because all spirits are pure love and light. So we're just in bliss. So we don't have the roller coaster ride of life. And, and there's no contrast because everything's just amazing. So in the human form, when, when we incarnate, when our spirits incarnate into human form, it's fun to them, whether it's something we perceive, like I said, as being something awful or something really amazing, it's just fun. It's an experience. And so I use the analogy a lot, mm. guys, of we're all on the yellow brick road and the yellow brick road only goes one way and it leads to Oz. It leads to the Emerald City. And the Emerald City is a metaphor for heaven or non-physical, which is pure bliss. So we're all wearing ruby slippers or ruby shoes, so we all have the power. And we can step on a brick that lands us in a field of blooming poppies, like in The Wizard of Oz, or we could step on a brick that lands us in a castle that's haunted, that we're being chased by flying monkeys. Either <laughs> way, it doesn't matter because all bricks lead to the Emerald City. All of them are good. All of them are unfolding purposely. You can't go backwards. You can only expand and go forwards. The other thing is, in those different lifetimes where we, people say, well, why in heck would you choose to be, to incarnate in a lifetime that's that tragic? We need to have contrast in order to expand. Number one, we need to know what we don't want in order to know what we do want, number one. And number two, the other thing is what I see is that there are 
common themes in many lifetimes that a person lives. For instance, A Star is Born, the movie with Gaga and Bradley Cooper that was just out, you know, won Academy Awards and stuff. That's the fourth time that movie has been made. Yeah, talk about reincarnation, right? Exactly. Well, every time it's been made, it's the same basic storyline, but it's a different set of characters. It's a different location where it happens. You know, it's a different time. And so we we incarnate with this basic still same storyline, but maybe we were an addict in a past life. And maybe in a life before that, we were the mother of an addict or the father of an addict or the sibling or the wife or the, you know, whatever. And we want to look at the same main storyline from a different perspective each time. Because, again, it helps us expand. It helps us understand what's it like to be the spouse of an addict or the child of an addict or the addict himself or herself. And so it's, I see that it's the same basic storyline in a lot of consecutive lifetimes, that it's just a different role that we play. Hmm. So if you were the addict in another life, then you're maybe the person that has to put up with the addict in the next life. Exactly. So that's almost like the role of karma in Hinduism, right? In a way. Somewhat. Karma, yeah. as I understand it, is more do unto others as you would do unto yourself kind of thing. And if you don't, Golden you know, it's gonna come back and slap you upside the head. Yeah, the it, seems more, it seems more judgmental than the cosmology that you're presenting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it is. But to your point, I think, and I think it's a good point, is karma is just different perspectives of a similar or the same situation it's not going to be the same identical because it's going to be a different time in a different place but but it's it can be the same basic storyline like in that movie a star is born so let's get into some of your training into this and you mentioned in the book about two areas that you were trained in and that's Kabbalah and that's Reiki. So why were you kind of trained into Kabbalah and what were kind of some of your experiences with um, using Reiki? Well, Reiki, I wasn't trained in Reiki. I was initiated into Reiki. Ah. And, and Reiki is low-level energy healing. It's, it's, it's elementary energy healing for the most part. And it's an introduction into energy healing. I was trained in energy healing that's kind of like postdoctoral work, if you will, really high vibration level healing. And, um, and the Kabbalah healing, I was trained in that as well. The two go hand in hand just from a technique standpoint, but it's about the transfer of energy at a really high vibration level, which then lets the person like me be able to access all kinds of information and healings and and I, I can diagnose things. It's it's pretty wild, the stuff I get to see. It's fantastic. I, I laugh, you guys. I say, who needs drugs? Just learn how to do woo-woo. Because <laughs> the stuff, you know, you know, like the 
psychedelics and stuff, the ayahuasca and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, some of the stuff I see is just fantastic. It's amazing. Well, that's definitely, I think, we, we were having this discussion, oddly enough, right before we started the show, where there's definitely different ways to produce some kind of altered state of consciousness and hallucinogenics will be in one, but I think where you're, what you're going into is also another way to do it. Well, and I turn my, my, um, radar, I call it, I turn my abilities on and off at will. It takes me a nanosecond to reach that super high vibrational level, which is the level of spirit Hmm. because we're all spirits attached to a human body And when we are, because of the body's mass, we vibrate more slowly because the body's dense. And so by enabling myself to reach this super high level of vibration, I can access spirit, alive, deceased. Who do you want to talk to? We can talk to your, your, you know, your deceased grandma, your dead cat. We can talk to Ben Franklin, George Washington, Julius Caesar, whoever. It doesn't matter. And so I'm able to access information on a spiritual level by learning how to vibrate at that really high level and having that, that level of vibration transferred to me from a teacher. And then that's what I do with my students now. It's, something, it's not something that you necessarily do, A, B, C, D, E. It's something that you receive and then it dawns on you that you're able to utilize this in all of these amazing ways. Kabbalah, however, is interesting because Kabbalah is so, the Kabbalah healing information is so powerful that it was only taught orally to rabbis who were 40 years old or older mm-hmm. and married, male rabbis, obviously. And Uh, There are some schools of thought that Jesus was taught some of these techniques. You know, the Bible kind of leaves off between the age of about 12 when Jesus is in the temple and then when he's 30 and he starts on his journey. And, And there are lots of schools of thought that he was in Egypt during that time and he was taught a lot of these Kabbalistic uh, healing techniques. And it's funny because, you know, I don't fit the bill. I'm not male. I'm not a rabbi. And I wasn't over 40 when I, when I learned how to do some of this stuff. But Kabbalah is about balancing the male and the female energies. And, um, and it goes back to there's no right, there's no good, everything's neutral. And so how do we look at a situation and how do we, how do we heal from a situation where we perceive it as bad, how do we change our perspective and perceive it as, how is this benefiting me? So it's staying in the middle, staying in Switzerland with those techniques. And so I've just assimilated all of it together now after all this time. So did you, in your training with Kabbalah, did you have to go through all the different levels, all the different... Help me out here, Serfiel. You're more the. You're talking about the tree of life. The tree of life, yeah. Tree all that, life. all that stuff, yeah. The, yeah, Malkud the and Sephiroth and all that stuff, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I learned about all of it. I I did formal training actually in Nashville. Interestingly enough, not Interesting. far from you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I did it in Nashville for six years and that was a long time ago. And so that was just part of my training. And, and it was, again, it was the transfer of energy and swimming in that energy for, for over a long period of time. Since that time in the classes that I teach, uh, I have condensed that and it's just, let's cut to the chase. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. It was for me, Mm. certainly, but it's not for my students. We, we get accomplished in a, in four Saturdays in a row, two hours a Saturday, what I went through all those years and spent the equivalent of a a medical school education, (laughs) you know, tuition on. It was a lot of money and a lot of time. And it was perfect and unfolded perfectly for me, but but I have condensed it and and the stuff that my students are able to access in a short amount of time after swimming in this energy for eight hours is just remarkable. Because well, essentially the the tree of life is about incarnation, which is kind of what you're you're talking about with all this uh, reincarnation and things like this. It's about the spiritual realm or God, whatever you want to call it, coming mm-hmm. into the physical. Mm-hmm. And I, I think most holy texts, regardless of what religion or culture it is, they talk about that we're all a spark of the divine and we're made in the image and likeness of God. And I believe that most people, I certainly did before I got into studying this stuff, um, most people believe God looks like a human. Usually like some version of Father Time, you know, old man, right, white hair, white right, beard, right. white gown. And, um, and I don't believe that now. What I believe is that we're made in the image and likeness of God in spirit form. And so if we're, if God is able to be everywhere all at the same time and we have a spark of the divine in us, I certainly can access wherever I want to be real time at any time. I can go frontwards, I can go forwards and the the past. I scan people all the time when they're in surgery and I'm in touch with the family and I'm saying, okay, here's how many docs are in the room, (laughs) surgeons, and, and, and here's what they're doing in the surgery. I'm an inventor of orthopedic surgery devices. That's one of the things that I've done. And my inventions are sold throughout the world and have been for going on 30 years. So I can tell you, you know, what stage they're in, in the in their procedure, I can tell you who the deceased loved ones are that are in the room, all of that. So um, I and you guys and all of us are a spark of the divine. And we have several, we have lots and lots of those skill sets, if you will, that come with being made in the image and likeness of God in spirit form. Being a creative person and being a businesswoman, how does that spark of the divine and how does accessing the divine influence your creative process and your your ideas do you feel like there there is a spiritual source that that you access some of the stuff that works out in practical ways in your life oh absolutely absolutely and for a lot of my career i had no clue that was going on i certainly do now but i can we can talk till the cows come home about serendipitous events that led me in a direction and people it got to the point where even long before I started studying this energy medicine and psychic stuff uh it got to the point where 
it was so commonplace that I just accepted the people that I needed would show up when I needed them. And it, whether it was for a business thing or whatever, a quick story. I was flying to LA a few years ago and I was, I was landing on mother's day and I was going to see my doctor who was out there and she was coming into the office on mother's day. And she was a mother because that was the only day I could see her because I was only going to be out there two or three days and I was in meetings the rest of the time. So as I'm flying in, I'm thinking, well, I'll just pick up my rental car and I'll go stop by someplace and pick her up some flowers as a thank you for coming in on Mother's Day. And my plane was late and we landed and I'm in LAX and I'm walking through the airport and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I, you know, I wonder if I can find some flowers for sale at one of the gift shops or something. This woman walks by me, you guys, and she's got this arm full of these gorgeous flowers. And I said to her, oh, your flowers are beautiful. Happy Mother's Day. And she said, are you are, are you coming to L.A.? And I said, yes. And she said, here, take them. And I said, no, 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 you take them. You know, they're gorgeous. They're for you. And she said, no, seriously, I'm flying to JFK. I don't want to hassle with them. If you can enjoy them, please take them. Because that was five minutes Within five minutes of my thinking, well, maybe I'll look in a gift shop because I'd really like to take flowers to my doctor. So that's just a real simple example of something that happened. But it just happens so often in my life and in people's lives. If you can, the key is staying neutral, you know, staying in that, okay, everything's unfolding perfectly, even if it doesn't feel like it is, just knowing that it is, you stay at a high vibration level, you experience just an untold amount of joy and amazing things happen in your life. Very interesting. Yeah. I know you guys have stories of stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's becoming a more and more prominent feature of my life every day. Yeah. It's, It's quite the ride. Yeah, yeah. And it's a Uh, choice. It's a choice. It's a habit. It's when something happens and it feels bad because you're sad or mad or frustrated or whatever, that's your spirit slapping you upside of the head and saying, hey, you need to look at this from a different perspective. As soon as you think about, okay, how is this benefiting me? How is this unfolding perfectly you go to curiosity, you switch your vibration level to a high vibration, which is more in the love joy area. And that's when the magic happens. But you just train yourself and it becomes a habit where when you find yourself thinking a negative thought, you just automatically switch it. Right. And sometimes maybe things that you think you want uh, don't work out so well because it might not have been uh, what you're supposed to do. Right, And it may have been worse, even though on the surface, it's what you thought you wanted. Right. And how many times have we had something happen that we think is awful, and we look back at it and we say, gosh, I'm so glad that happened because it led to this that was beneficial, to your point. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I can think of quite a few things in my life that are like that. Uh, Let's talk about um, these things that happened to you and this, the, your, what you do now. And how do you filter that in from your original belief system 
are could still be your belief system of Roman Catholicism. Great question. I uh, am still a practicing Catholic. I my son will tell you I'm what he calls a cafeteria Catholic, <laughs> which means I take what I want and I leave what <laughs> I don't like or what I don't what doesn't make sense to me. I I gotcha. uh, see energetic things happen when I go to church on Sundays. It's pretty wild. People probably look at me and think, oh, she's so reverent. But actually, I'm just watching the show from an energetic perspective. And I find that that in all religions, we need to validate in our own minds what feels right and what doesn't feel right. Because we all know the truth inherently when we learn to trust it. And so as far as the basics of Catholicism, which is like, love each other, be kind, and do works, do acts of charity to help each other. Um, those are the basics of Catholicism. And, and it's gotten changed over the years with lots of, lots of dogma and all of that. And so that's why I released the book, because it's based on what, uh, what happens as we're dying, and that is that angels and our deceased loved ones greet us and lead us into paradise. And as interestingly enough, as luck would have it, there's a prayer called In Paradisum that's said at the end of every Catholic funeral, every Roman Catholic funeral. And it talks about the angels and your loved ones will lead you into paradise. And when I was researching the book, guys, I, I found that that prayer originated in the fifth century as a Gregorian chant. And I have to believe that since the beginning of time, people have been able to see what I perceive. And maybe it just took till the fifth century till there were scholars that were learned enough that were usually men in the monasteries that could write this down and compose this prayer. And then as we've evolved and gotten more well-educated, certainly in the last hundred years or so, we've kind of tamped down our intuitive abilities because we've become very proof-based. And so in essence, all of the information that's in these holy texts, not just in Catholicism, but in all of the world's great religions and, and philosophies, you know, the Eastern cultures and the Muslim and the Buddhist and the, you know, whatever, Native American and other indigenous cultures, they're all basically saying the same thing. And that is, you know, love your neighbor, <laughs> be kind. Um, right. You know, yeah. The golden, golden rule. rule. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Does that answer yep. your question? Yep. Well, uh, to further that question, though, when you do, you get any flack from people that are also Roman Catholic. Do you get from like because you you got two kinds of well, there's a few kinds of skeptics, but I'd say like there's a main kind of skeptic that maybe takes it from a more secular, the materialist, scientific view, and then you have a the skeptics that take it from well, this is our spiritual worldview, and nobody else can have another worldview besides us. So, do you get any flack from the like your fellow like kind of co 
Roman Catholics? Uh, I'm sure I, I'm sure there are some out there that do. I don't, I don't hang with them. Most of them, my yeah. parish priest, my pastor has my book on his bed, on his nightstand. He told me he keeps it on his nightstand next to his bed. And, um, uh, my book is being used as curricula in um, several Sunday school classes in Christian, lots of different Christian huh. denominations, which is wild. I would have never expected that. But every once in a while, I'll run across somebody who says, yeah, I'm really skeptical about that. And I'll say, that's appropriate. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. if I if I get an email or something from somebody that's sometimes when I'm on a a show, I'll get a snarky email from somebody through my website and people say, well, how do you deal with that? And I say, it's real easy. I delete. <laughs> I don't respond. Um, you know, I mean, right. I, yeah. Do, do, do yeah, not engage. I don't, I don't feel yeah. the need to have to try and convince anybody. My feeling is here's what I believe. Here's what I've experienced. Here's how I can help you if you're interested. If not, that's fine. You're you're certainly entitled to whatever your beliefs are. That's certainly everyone's prerogative to believe what they want and not believe what they don't want. So I don't feel the need to convince anybody. But you're you're probably you probably feel like you're part of a larger uh Catholic mystical tradition that has a lot of, you know, a long history of very mystical people. Yes, absolutely. And my main spirit guide's a dead pope, which is hysterical. His it's Pope Clement right. the twelfth, Pope Clement the Sixth. And he lived in the fourteenth century. He was the um he was in office during the bubonic plague when two thirds of Europe died. And so he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. He's my top spiritual advisor. And you guys, it's so hilarious because he always shows up with his whole Pope outfit on, like the hat and the vestments <laughs> and all this stuff. And when I was coming, when I was putting together the thought of doing my class, which was just, I just started it the first of the year, I had a client in South Africa who, with whom I was working and her mother-in-law was dying and she was unable to communicate and it was kind of a... Uh, surprise situation that they were dealing with the family. So there were like five family members, you know, on the call and we're talking to grandma and I'm communicating with grandma and relaying the information to the clan. So anyways, at the end of the call, this woman said to me, can you teach me how to communicate with my mother-in-law, even though she's still alive, let alone when she's gone? And I said, yeah, I believe I can. And then I had somebody ask me the same question the next morning. And I thought, all right. So I pulled in Pope Clement and I said, am I supposed to teach a class on this stuff? And he said, yeah, like have a V8 while you're at it. And and then he, I said, well, I don't even know where to start. You know, I don't know what to do. And he said, you limit it to this number of people. You do it on Saturdays from noon central to two. That way you'll hit the West Coast of America, the, you know, all of America, most of Western Europe and Eastern Europe, it won't be that bad. And then down through South Africa and all of that. He told me what to charge. He told me to use, a, you know, a video platform online. And I said, well, I'm impressed you know about these video platforms. He goes, I'm in spirit form. You know, we know all this stuff. 
I mean, it was so specific, you guys. And he told me the date he wanted me to start it. And it was less than three weeks in in the future. And I said, I can't get it together that fast. I mean, I got too much to do. And he said, just do it. So I did. I got the page up on my website and the graphic designer engaged and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Before I'd even advertised it, I talked about it on my show, on my podcast. Within the first week, I had eight people from four countries sign up. And I thought, okay, this is being divinely guided. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm even being advised by a dead pope. So that's pretty Catholic. <laughs> but I don't even, I, I haven't been able to find out how many wives he had. They're going to be girlfriends. You know, because back then they had lots of girlfriends and kids and stuff like that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He pretty random pope to be to have as your spirit guide, right? He. I know. Pope Clement the sixth, you said, right? Sixth, yeah. And when yeah. he appeared, I said to him, "Who are you?" And he said, "I'm Clement." And he was obviously a pope. And I said, "I never heard of Pope Clement." <laughs> he started laughing, and he said, "Well, I was number six. I said, okay, can I help you? <laughs> what can I do for you? And he said, you need to, you know, part of your role this round is to educate the world about what happens when people die because they're so afraid and it's glorious. There's nothing to be afraid about. It's been bastardized by all these religions and cultures, including Roman Catholic, you know, Catholicism and all of that. And I said, he said, so, you know, everything you've done in your life is to prepare you for this, and you just need to get on with it. And I said to him, no, you don't understand. I'm a businesswoman. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you will, you know, eventually. So it took a lot of prodding. And frankly, it took several years before I wrote and released the book because of fear. You know, to your point earlier about, you know, I live in the deep south. I live in Alabama. Am I going to have the KKK ride in on horses with white hoods and white gowns and they're going to burn a cross in my front yard for this stuff? And I just really haven't encountered that at all. People are people are interested in hearing and it brings so much comfort when they read the book and it's so informative and it has lots of heartwarming stories in it about families with whom I've worked that it's being given as like a funeral gift and it's being given to lots of people around the world who have a loved one who's dying. And invariably they all say, Oh my gosh, you know, this is a game changer with me reading this. Well, let's talk about these stages of death. And I realize that there are a lot of them, but let's talk about some of these stages of what you witness when you, encounter a dying person? Well, the first thing that I see when somebody's dying, and when I see, say, see, I'm seeing it in my mind's eye. My eyes are closed, and I'm seeing a picture of it in my head after I've turned my radar on. Again, it takes me a nanosecond to do that, and I turn it on and off at will. Um, so the spirit separates from the body, and as somebody's dying, guys, it holds onto the top of the head, and it looks like a bubble. It looks like the bubble that you see in a cartoon caption where the words or the character's thoughts are located. And then as they get closer 
to death, they go through what I describe as the 12 phases of transition. So phase one would be the spirit bubbles hanging on to the top of the head. Phase two is the parents' spirits come in, the deceased parents. If the person who's dying, if their parents are still alive, it's the closest maternal parental person's spirit. So for instance, if if I was dying and my mother was still alive, it would be my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother. If she was still alive, it would be my maternal grandmother's mother. See, it's all down that maternal line. Hmm. Same thing with the father spirit. Again, it's on the maternal line. If I if, if I was dying, it would be my dad. Yeah. Which is interesting to me when I when I read that in the book, uh, heard it in the book rather, that it, it it just reminds me of how the closest in like mitochondrial DNA that's passed down from female to female to female, that that's yeah. the first thing. I mean, that was an interesting. I kind of made that correlation into that book and into that uh, insight. That's a really good point, Adam. I never thought about that before. Yeah, that's the strongest um, DNA. I mean, we, you, they, they take it all the way back to like mitochondrial Eve, you know. Wow. And that makes sense because we all have an X chromosome. Right, right. And it also it also sheds a new, it's a, it's a light bulb moment for me because in a lot of healings that I do when I work with especially cancer patients, one of the healings I do with every cancer patient is called genome editing, and it's correcting the mutations in the DNA that are causing the cancer cells to happen. And, and so what I do in this healing is I watch the DNA get resequenced back to normal, and it always comes out of a big X chromosome. And I figured that was always just because we all have X's, but you're absolutely right with the maternal line. Great connection. I'm yeah. going to post that. I'm going to use that. I, I couldn't help but think about that. When, yeah. When yeah. You, when you talked about that, how it's always first the maternal yeah. grandmother, and you that's that's the line. It was the, the, the best way that we can sequence DNA is through the mitochondrial. Well, that's yeah. a brilliant connection you just made, sir. Brilliant. Thank you. So, so <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about that is that it's the maternal spirit who runs the show from the spirit world. Yes. She's the one, her spirit's the one that brings in the angels. Her spirit's the one that brings in the other deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. It's hilarious, the pets that I describe to people. I'm saying, well, and it's really funny when there are farm animal spirits in the room <laughs> because grandma grew up on a farm and her pet cow and her lammies and her chicks and all of that are there and they're present in the room as the person's dying. And then as they progress, getting closer and closer to death, guys, then there are that many more spirits that show up and are there. I call them the welcome to heaven committee. And they're, they're there to welcome, they and the angels are there to, to welcome the person in heaven. And they, they form different configurations. Like the angels start out in a circle around the person who's dying. And then as the person gets progresses towards death, that circle opens into a horseshoe, gets into a wider horseshoe, eventually turning into a straight line 
um, that is like the line of demarcation between the spirit world and our physical human world. There, when I was listening to that description, I couldn't help feel that there was some kind of ritualistic aspect to this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the 12 phases can happen instantly, like in the case of a suicide or a homicide, or you hear about somebody being in a car accident and they died instantly, or somebody dropping dead of a heart attack kind of a thing. It, they can happen instantly, or they can happen over days, weeks, months, even years. There's a woman that calls into my show often, and her father's been in phase 11 of 12, the final stage before he goes off to heaven. He's been in that phase for two years. He's an Alzheimer's patient. And she calls in frequently to have me scan him and to give updates. And it's, it's, he's the longest one I've seen stay in that state. I mean, he's been in that state for a really long time. That was another interesting aspect. I think I think it's maybe the first stage, if I'm correct, where you talk about how the spirit essentially migrates to the top of the head. Right. And that correlates with what people of all cultures, all socioeconomic, you know, statuses, all levels of education around the world describe in conjunction with a near-death experience, they feel like they experience going through a tunnel. Yes. And that seems to be across the board, like I said, regardless of of what the culture is or the training or the whatever. Uh, it's something, lots of those near-death experiences are, are uh, corroborated with people from vast different walks of life is there a connection there to the pineal gland mm, interesting i get a yes on that that means the the answer just came in my head i get a yes uh the pineal gland is considered in a lot of cultures to be the third eye which is when i say i'm seeing in my mind's eye that's where a lot of cultures believe that's where that psychic ability originates in the human body. Hmm. And so this idea that it, as the body is getting ready to die, it migrates to the top of the head. So this whole idea that then that must mean that our spiritual force animates our body throughout our lives. And as we, get ready to pass on that it's migrating to that area. Absolutely. And, and along those lines, we are spirits. We have a body. Our spirits power our body. They're the power source for the body. And I was taught in 12 years of Catholic schools and a lot of religions and cultures teach that the spirit is inside of the body. What I perceive guys is that the body's inside the spirit. And that the, the energy field, the aura, the halo that you see depicted around religious figures is all the spirit. It's the energy field. It's all the same thing. And then it's contained in what I have coined the energy field membrane. And it reminds me, the membrane reminds me of really thin, stretchy saran wrap. And that's what contains the body and the spirit together. 
And an analogy that I, I use a lot that I've come up with that seems to really illustrate this for people is imagine going to a pet store and buying a goldfish. They're going to put the fish in a plastic bag of water in order for you to get it home. Right. So if you have a picture of that in your mind's eye, the goldfish represents our body. The water represents our spirit because, again, the body's inside the spirit. And the plastic bag represents the energy field membrane. And so as I describe in the 12 phases of transition, in about halfway through, there are extra angels that show up on either side of the spirit bubble that's attached to the person's head, the top of their head. And, and halfway through, as those angels show up, their wings start to move as I perceive it. And the movement of the wings creates a vortex with an upward pull that helps the spirit and the body separate. And the pull reminds me of driving through the car wash at the end of the car wash when you're sitting in the car and they turn on that dryer and it sucks all the water off your car, you know, before you drive out of the car wash. That's yes. what it feels like. And so when I was researching my book, I always throughout these years, before I even wrote the book, when I was working with a family who have a loved one that was dying, the movement of these angels' wings creating this vortex reminded me of a giant owl flying. You know, when they moved their wings, you could almost feel the drag that comes from it. And so just for kicks, I Googled giant owl, vortex, you know, flying. There is so much information online about what's called the wingtip vortex, which helps every flying object, whether it be an animal, a glider, a kite, a jet, whatever, it, there's a vortex that forms underneath the wings from the movement of the wings that creates lift and causes, you know, causes whatever, the animal or the jet or whatever, to lift up. And I'm thinking, holy mackerel, you know, this phenomenon that I see of these angels creating this vortex is creating a wingtip vortex that's described in aeronautical engineering. And it's what helps the, the body separate from the spirit. Is there an element here? And I'm sure that you have encountered this before. This is an element I think in bringing my expert here in, I guess, hermeticism as above, so below this, what you're talking about, basically that's what it is. I mean, you have the, the spiritual world, creating that vortex, and then you have the physical means of which flight is achieved. Yeah, it, it's, it's really uh, quite the phenomenon. And when I think about it, and I think, to your point, this is a spiritual event and a spiritual movement of these angels' wings that's creating a vortex in the physical world to help this person die. Because when the spirit leaves the body, that's when the body dies because the body doesn't have a power source anymore. So it's facilitating the transition, if you will, of going back into non-physical. So it's a spiritual phenomenon that's affecting this human 
realm, if you will, human plane. And, and gosh, there are endless stories about spiritual things affecting us in the human world. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to point something out here. I don't, I'm not sure that if you're, that you're aware of this or not, but you, when you talk about the similarity to the owl and its wings, that it was like a, a connection for me when I heard that you talk about that in the, in the book is that, you know, first of all, there's the whole idea of the owl as a symbol of death. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a guest that we've had on the show named Mike Cleland. He has a, he has, check him out. He has a, he has two books now that he has done called the messengers and stories from the messengers. And what he talks about is the, is things that revolve around owls and owls Mm -hmm. specifically in people that have been alien contactees or abductees, that whole phenomenon and the screen memory of them seeing owls instead of seeing aliens, but then also actually the weird synchronicities of them seeing owls. Hmm. And um, he talks about that in the second book where he talks about the different stories that people have. So that was an interesting connection that you use the terminology and the metaphor of an owl. And that is something that comes up a lot in, I guess, occult literature as well is the owl. And of course, you know, mm. Nashville, Athena, <laughs> the Parthenon, all that kind of stuff. You know, the it's it's interesting these little connections that I've yeah been able to different guests. But I, I I definitely think that you you should check that out because that that's a whole other aspect of this stuff in mm-hmm. dealing with the owl symbology, and you're well, making a complete yeah. Um, connection Random. to yeah. the death process of likening it to the flapping of an owl's wings. Yeah. Yeah. How random is that? Not random at all, right? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, the other thing along those lines with birds is that when I first started teaching my class, I started seeing hawks every day. I, I see a hawk every day, at least one. And hawks, and I looked it up, and hawks are spiritual messengers. Horus and they the are, are messengers from the divine. And you guys, on Sunday, I came back in Sunday morning from my walk, and there were five owls circling the, above my house. Uh-huh. And I, and nope. I thought, five owls? I usually see maybe one or two, but five? And so I looked it up, and it said that's very, very rare. As a matter of fact, I posted it on my social media. I asked Julie Ryan on Instagram and on Facebook if anybody is interested in seeing the picture. Um, it was like, holy moly, what is going on with these five five hawks above my house? And they were just flying kind of in a circle. It was wild. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it- all these, all these different connections. I mean, it, it is it is very it is it is very strange, but at the same time, it almost seems like it's normal. Like this is just th- th- these different archetypes that we have. These animals. I at one night I actually was leaving here from recording, and an owl flew right across the car. <laughs> oh gosh! So. <laughs> oh my God. Did you feel like you were in a Hitchcock movie or something? Uh, well, almost, yeah. Um, 
I bet. Well, funny thing about that, uh, a quick story. I was on a walk. I walk most mornings in my neighborhood and I, and there's this new section of our neighborhood. It goes down into a valley and, and Birmingham's even hillier than Nashville, but very heavily wooded and all that. So anyways, my husband had called and he wanted me to send him the password or something or whatever. And so I was looking it up on my phone and this huge shadow goes flying over my head of the, of this hawk. I mean, I felt like I was in a Hitchcock movie and it was low and I looked up and that bird went flying off and I thought, okay, sorry, I'm not paying attention to you. I'm on my phone. Can you ever forgive me? Kind of a thing. <laughs> it was like this hawk wanted to get my attention. It yeah. was hilarious. Yeah. It's like the universe yeah. is looking back at you. Have you yourself ever had any kind of like that? alien for lack of a better word contact or abduction experience have you ever had anything like that happen to you no i haven't but i've accessed uh past lives of people who have been on other planets in past lives and one you can hear about actually on it was my 31st podcast podcast 31 if you go to episode 31 this guy called in and he said he was an engineer and wanted to know if there were any past lives where he was an engineer. So I'm like, okay, well, so one came in and it was, it looked like the set of Star Wars. You know, it looked like that those cities where they have the flying, flying ships and stuff, kind of like cars. It was kind of like a cross between Star Wars and what I'd seen on the Jetsons as a kid growing up, the, the cartoon, the Jetsons, you know. And yeah. so, and so I'm looking at all this and, and I'm watching this and I keep saying, this looks like the set of Star Wars. I mean, this is wild. It's these buildings and these flying cars and stuff. And I said, I got that you're, you were an engineer in that lifetime. You were in charge of the electrical grid, which powered the city on this planet and blah, 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 blah. And I said, what kind of engineer are you? And he said, I'm an, I'm an electrical engineer. I said, well, of course you are. <laughs> so you can listen to that story on Podcast 31. Yeah, it's like I'm a... Julie Ryan. Yeah. You fulfill a different... You, fu- you fulfill the same role in a, this life as you fulfilled in, in another. Well, it, interestingly enough, he's an electrical engineer who builds great big, huge jet engines. And I think he works for GE or somebody who's a contractor of GE. And and it goes back to that same basic storyline, different setting, different cast of characters, different perspective of looking at something from a different way. But certainly I believe that there are lots of planets that exist. And I think anybody that believes otherwise is just... I don't know what they are, but I think they're they're misinformed. <coughs> Let's talk about some of these personal stories before we end. Um, about the people that you have encountered as they are going through the dying process. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about Miss Rose and the Rosary. Yeah. Nice alliteration there, by the way. Yeah, thanks. What do you want to know about Miss Rose and the Rosary? Well, let's just talk about the story. Okay. She it was this little Italian lady, teeny weeny. She was like like not even five feet tall. And um, uh, she had been dying for a long time. 
And she had one daughter who's a dear friend of mine named Joan Marie. And and she was afraid to die, Miss Rose was, because she didn't want to leave Joan Marie alone. And Joan Marie was married and had a son and had lots of friends. And and so Miss Rose was just reluctant to die. And her daughter said, okay, mom, when you go to heaven, send me a sign. And so Miss, they called me, her husband and, and her husband, Kim and Joan Marie. And Kim called me and he said, Nana's dying. Can you scan her? She was in a local hospital. And I said, well, you want me to come down? And he said, I don't know that there's time. So I'm communicating with Miss Rose. She's Southern Belle. You know, he called, we call him Miss whoever in the deep south here. And she uh, she was, it was her daughter, Joan Marie, was saying, well, mom, you know, is there anything we can do for you? Her mom was not able to communicate at that point and was in, was in a coma, basically, as she was dying. And so the mom said, I want you to pray. And the daughter said, well, what do you want us to pray? And she said, the rosary. And so she said, okay, what? What prayers of the rosary, the rosary is divided into these different segments and different storylines, if you will. And Miss Rose said, I want you to pray this mystery. That's the storyline. And, um, you know, I want everybody to pray that in the room. So they did. And then her daughter said, Mom, remember, send me a sign when you get to heaven that you're okay." And kind of like, you know, when you land at the airport, let me know you your flight was okay, kind of a thing. And I hear that a lot from people as they have a loved one who's dying. They'll say, let me know that you arrive okay, kind of a thing. And so long story short, I was researching the rosary the next morning. Something led me to do that. I was led to research that. And I re- what I found was the mystery that she told her family to pray was prayed on the day of the week that she was dying. And so even as she was exiting, she was she was cognizant enough to be able to communicate to me what mystery of the rosary, which is an ancient Catholic prayer that involves beads, and it's, it's a rote prayer, rote set of prayers, which one to say on that day, and she was aware of what day it was in the month of May, and that was the mystery that she was taught was to be set on that day of the week. It was wild. Hmm. And as I understand it, the rosary is pretty complicated. Like it's a lot of it's different stations of the cross and all this kind of thing. No, no, no. That's totally different. The rosary is is just a set of beads, and other religions and cultures use bead, prayer beads as well. But it's a set of beads, and there are three or four basic prayers that are said repetitively throughout these sets of beads. So you put your finger on one bead, and you say a prayer, and there are ten of them, and then you say another prayer, and then another prayer, and then you say ten of the same prayer again. And it's most of the world's great religions— um, worked on rote memory because their people were illiterate until recently. So it it was very much, you know, ritual and and the same prayer said over and over. And that was the whole purpose of the Gregorian chants, was that not only was it simple for people to remember because they were illiterate, 
but also it was a meditative process by doing that rote prayer. That's another form of meditation. Ah, I see. And yeah. there's another one, um, Precious Jade, I believe. Uh, that um, yeah. this was more, I think, in the in the realm of almost like a more sudden kind of death, if I'm correct. It was. It was. Uh, she was a little girl who. Uh, was born, you know, was progressing completely normally till she had a vaccine at about a year and a half. And she had a reaction to the vaccine. She had brain seizures and it caused brain injury. And so when she died and drowned in her bathtub at the age of 21, she Mm. had the mental capacity of about a six-year-old. And so she... We talk about in there with her, it it was fascinating with her guys because normally when somebody's dying, I'll see one circle of angels around them. In her case, she had several. She had five. And, and it was interesting because I got that she was an emissary sent to teach peace, unconditional love, tenacity, and sanctity. Hmm. And... And it was really interesting because I was talking with her mother and also her older sister, and Jade was relaying what had happened when she drowned and about how the EMS guys came and they tried to revive her and how her stepdad gave her CPR and tried to revive her. And then she talked about a piece of jewelry that she wanted her sister to have. And her sister and her mom didn't know what she was talking about. And so they went and they looked in her jewelry drawer, her jewelry box, in her dresser, and they found this locket that they didn't remember she had. Someone had given it to her when she was really little. And inside the locket was a picture of the mom and a picture of the, of the sister. Hmm. So it was just so, so heartwarming and sweet because... They didn't even remember she had that piece of jewelry and, you know, the two most important people in her world, she wanted her sister to have that locket with the pictures of the two most important people in her life. So the book is full of heartwarming stories like that, where the person who's dying is communicating with me what what their requests are or whatever. Do I have time for another really quick, fun story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was a a client whose dad was dying. He had been on life support, and they pulled him off life support. He was very elderly and was a retired dentist. And and, uh, the woman called me, and she said, you know, my God, they said he'd be dead in 24 hours, and he was was still hanging on two weeks later. And he kept telling me he wanted her to file his quarterly estimated taxes. And and the, (laughs) the daughter was saying... Oh, that's just the most ridiculous thing. That's crazy. Tell him to go ahead and go. So anyways, after two weeks, she calls me and she says, okay, what does he need? And I asked him and he said, I need her to file my quarterly estimated taxes. And she said, I don't even know where they are. And he said, they're in the desk, in my bedroom, middle drawer on the left. And I said to her, just go look and see if they're there. And if they are, drop them in the mailbox. So she went to his house. She leaves the hospital. She goes to his house, middle drawer on the left and the desk in his bedroom. She finds this envelope. You guys, the taxes are in there. The check's in there. It's stamped. It's addressed. It's just not sealed. 
she seals it, she drops it in the mailbox, and he's dead within like an hour or something. It was hysterical. I had to make sure that so got I, that got done, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Render yeah. onto yeah. Caesar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so there are many, many, many stories, countless stories of situations like that where the person who's dying tells me what they need and I communicate that to the family and the family does whatever they're asking and either something miraculous happens or or they're able to go ahead and go at that point. But the thing that I tell families as they're going through this sequence with a loved one who's dying is to look for the little miracles along the way because they're plentiful. They're there. You know, it's just again change your perspective. Look for the miracles. When you look for the miracles, you're you'll, you're able to notice them. Yes, and it seems like there is that idea that they may be doing that for the family. Oh, because sure. obviously they don't need it anymore. So you know, it's for they, they care about the people that they're leaving behind. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that uh, a lot with people who linger, and a lot of Alzheimer's patients, a lot of Alzheimer's patients and dementia patients will take a long time to exit. And it's so their families, they tell me it's so their families can get used to the idea of them not being around. Have you ever had to, have you ever encountered ghosts or someone that is still lingering here and have had to help them cross over? Yes, many times. Is there a good example of that? Well, there's a big story about that in my book, but um let's see a good example that's a quick one uh yeah i had a i i knew a guy who had a portal it was like a portal in his house that uh spirits were coming into and i helped helped them a lot i would close up the portal and i would help the spirits leave i a friend's house in nashville actually that i i stay stayed there for years they now since have moved but in franklin tennessee just south of nashville oh yeah mm-hmm. and and her home was in a new development big beautiful home and the backyard was terraced and at the back of her backyard in the back right corner was this wall that was built out of stone and they didn't know what it was but there were graves back there and so I scanned it and I could see that it was a chapel that was on a big piece of property, probably some type of a plantation or a big piece of property. And the the family members were buried inside the wall and the, the slaves and the servants were buried on the outside of the wall. And so in the guest room that I would stay in, if I turned my radar on, I could see this parade for lack of a better word i could see these these people walking at the i would say turn of the 20th century you know in late 1800 early 1900 clothing dressed in their sunday best and they were walking to that church because they were headed back towards that back side of the lot but they were you know I, i mean every time i was there i could see it so that was interesting and, and I don't necessarily help people go into the light unless I'm led to do that. Sure. And, and, and it's what I find with that is I believe that there's a 
portion of our spirit that always stays in non-physical, and there's a portion that that incarnates into the human body. And then ghosts are people who are in non-physical, and they, instead of being attached to a human body, they want to continue the experience just in non-physical form. Does that make sense? Yes. Um there's, I think there's, there's a correlation there to some of the ancient Egyptian ideas of the, there's like a three part division of the soul mm-hmm. that they, that they spoke about. Mm-hmm. So that does make sense. Yeah. Because sometimes, and, and the story in my book is you, you listen to it, Adam. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, I was witnessing a train wreck at the turn of the century. And by the way, we were able to corroborate that information Where in what? historic. Where was it that? was here. It was here in home. It was a suburb of Birmingham okay. in Homewood, Alabama. And, and I saw a morgue where this, the victims of the train wreck, where their bodies were being brought, but it didn't make sense to me initially because the train wreck, there were say only a dozen casualties but in this morgue there were many more bodies and it was a makeshift morgue Hmm. but what we learned was there was a tb outbreak at the same time and so it was a makeshift morgue i i figured out that where these tb tb patients who had died where their bodies were being brought so at the train wreck when i was witnessing all these ghosts and this different reality those bodies were brought to the makeshift TB ward. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I but was, it was the same. It was the same time and the same date. And I, it, yeah, we were able to corroborate it. Interesting. I was wondering whether that was when you were here in Nashville because there was a huge train wreck here. Or was it 1918? Yeah. That, that happened. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was in Homewood, Alabama, which is oh. a suburb of Birmingham. Hmm. And and the scene that I was seeing was in the in the basement of a office building and it was very close to where the train wreck had happened. Hmm. Well, Julie, this has been extremely fascinating and this has been a great discussion. Um where can people find your book? Where can people find you? Contact you if they need to. Everything is on AskJulieRyan.com. So the book's sold all over the place. You know, it's Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all of that. And uh, the audiobook's available on a whole bunch of different outlets, Audible and iTunes books and Google books and Walmart and I mean, <laughs> everywhere. And then uh, uh, all the information on my show, I tape it on Thursday nights. And that's fun. And uh, people call in from all over the world with questions. I do a lot of medical healing, a lot of medical scanning and other, you know, like I said, I'm a buffet of psychicness and all the information's at AskJulieRyan.com. Excellent. Excellent. And the podcast is called Ask Julie Ryan? Yes, sir. Okay. sure is. And you can get that anywhere anywhere you download podcasts. Awesome. Seraphiel, was there anything that you wanted to ask or... No, just th- thanks for coming on the show. Nice to meet you. It was a very interesting discussion. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm so impressed with you both. My Thank gosh, you. you're both, Thank you. You're both really, really brilliant and uh, 
and and I appreciate that you're interested in all this woo-woo stuff. Oh, yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> I've been interested in it for most of my life, so <laughs> that's why I, why I do this now. Excellent. Well, stay on the line for us, Julie. We're going to close this section out, and guys, we will be back to close out the show on Conspiranormal. All right, guys, we got a new sponsor that we're going to talk about called Blinkist. And they are this new company that is taking books and summarizing them. So, kind of like a Cliff Notes. Yeah, kind of like a Cliff Notes, except it's a, like a 16-minute summary. So basically, you know, it's it can be kind of hard find hard to find the time to sit down and learn a little bit more when you're out on the go and you're listening to podcasts like ours and it's uh, not easy when you get on social media and it's so addictive time consuming so you might think you don't have the time to read a book or to develop yourself in any kind of substantial way so this is an app that we highly recommend and it's called Blinkist as I mentioned before Blinkist is for busy people like like you guys that are out there listening to the show that want to get the main point of the book quickly without reading the entire book so with an audio feature, Blinkist also makes it easy to finish four books a day while you're on the go, which uh, eight and eight million people are now using Blinkist, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. So that's very important to me, history. I checked that out today. There's a lot of history books on there, um, one of which uh, looks interesting called The Congo from Leopold to Kabila. Our Kabila, the uh, the new ruler of the Congo. If you guys are any um, are familiar with that, you can go on there in less than 15 minutes, and you can get on there and fast track your path to a more intelligent, informed, healthy you. And one of the books, some of the books they've got are some of the stuff that we've talked about on the show. There's stuff like self improvement and uh, new thought, like how to make people like you in 90 seconds or less. All right by Nicholas Boothman or The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by Mark Manson. So those those sound a little bit interesting. So if you want to check those out, those are there as well. So what they're doing right now, guys, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for the Conspiranormal audience. So go to Blinkist.com slash Conspiranormal to start your free seven-day trial. And that's Blinkist. That's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Conspiranormal. And Conspiranormal, of course, is C-O-N-S-P-I-R-I-N-O-R-M-A-L. So check them out today, guys. And it also helps us out a lot. Thanks. And now, back to the show. All right, so that was a great interview with Julie Ryan. I was I was pretty impressed by that, man. I really honestly did not know what to expect. Yeah. But I think we covered some good ground on that. Yeah, it was pretty far out. It was like an entire, entire cosmology and uh, someone's real detailed belief system. You know, you, you get a lot of vagaries and especially more this, uh, more as she says, the woo-woo end. But uh, she was not very vague about things. She had a very precise, detailed cosmology, yeah, yeah. things that happen, et cetera. I, I felt like she was pretty grounded because when I first 
listened to the book, I thought this is kind of this is kind of new agey kind of stuff. But then as I got all along, I felt like, well, she's grounded in some kind of faith system, some kind of belief system to where to her, you know, she kind of makes it fit within that. And I was surprised to see how what she said that a lot of people just accept it. And I think maybe in some ways like the Roman Catholicism with, you know, because it's been we talked about this with David Metcalf. It's been very syncretic. Oh, yeah. And I think it's been much more accepted by it, it. It can be that kind of stuff can be much more accepted into that cosmology or that belief system or whatever the word is. Yeah. And it's been it's been syncretic in in America and the development of these, uh, you know, new age systems as well. It's mm-hmm. interacted with them and. People have felt free to explore non-dogmatic. Right. You know, that's not going to be the official line from Rome, but, you know, there's all these. And, and also it's such a, Catholicism is such a cultural thing that, yes. that people leave it less than they leave other more doctrinal based. Well, you found out that it's a much more loose thing than yeah. what is, what people normally think. And you've got so many different ideas and interpretations it's not even funny yeah i was yeah i was i was pretty impressed and i I think that we uh actually impressed her with some of the questions that we asked and uh when you know i tied in the kind of like the owl symbology Mm -hmm. to uh what mike cullen has been talking about i mean that when when she said that and when i listened to the book i was like okay there's a there's a connection here somehow with with all of this and the the idea also that there was this certain amount of ritual that was going on as what she describes in these 12 steps of death was also very interesting to me i don't know if there's a connection to secret societies rituals or you know what 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 do you think did you get to that part of the book as far as the actual detailed the the one particular case where she gave the details for these this uh, coming and going of various spirits and all that yeah. it had parallels in that kind of stuff I can see that um, yeah you know I don't know how much uh, I don't know how much I I really connected that but you did yeah it was it was yeah I mean it's extremely extremely interesting stuff so definitely check out her stuff at askjulieryan.com I was I was pretty impressed I didn't know really what to think or what to uh, where we were going to go with us tonight sometimes we have guests on especially ones that approach us we never know what we're going to get and this one definitely I think was was on the good side for sure yeah that's cool yeah uh is there anything that you want to add about it or uh, no, not particularly. Okay, um, you guys may have noticed that uh, we've done a couple. We did. We've done a bonus episode. Yeah, with Jay Dyer, and let's let's talk a little bit about that, like how that kind of came to okay. happen. And we're gonna get we're gonna get Jay. I want to get Jay back on probably next month or in August to go into a little bit more because we both now have like both esoteric Hollywoods one and two. So. Right. Well, you you had posted initially, uh, or you sent me a link uh, on, I guess it was last Monday morning, that he was saying he was going to be in town at Centennial Park, and 
Yeah, last Saturday, actually, yeah. And I've been wanting to get his book, so I was like, well, might as well just go down. I figured I could probably pull something out of it and arrange uh, to get him on Conspiracy Normal, too, because the real world is really the place to do everything. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. really hard getting a hold of people through email, especially more high-profile people. Uh, you know, emails just get bogged down, and, and, you know, people lose track, but getting face-to-face is really the best way to still make things happen and meet yeah, people in any business or any pursuit like this so um that's what I the just, new thought people would tell you right, right? so yeah. i just went and you know and, and uh said hi and we talked for a second and everything and and arranged that we hung out monday took him on a little synchro mystic tour of nashville and uh i think he was pretty impressed too and uh we got we got a lot in common i'm sure there's a lot we disagree with also but uh you know he's he was pretty fun to hang out with really nice guy yeah yeah, I, I I got a lot out of it. It was it was interesting to to speak to him and to kind of interact with him. We we went to like you said we did a little synchro mystic tour of Nashville, which uh, we're kind of formulating that where we can if people want to come to Nashville and hang out with us, where we can take them. There's a lot of interesting sites around downtown Nashville that uh, have some significance of things that you've been studying. Yeah, I have some historical and mystical and uh pagan symbolism such as there's that one church that we we spoke about in that little interview we did with him on the bonus episode where uh there's that egyptian symbolism yeah there's a presbyterian church downtown that is a uh replica of a sun temple Mm -hmm. and they even had i think they had like a banner outside with horus on it um you know, there's also interesting things like what is it the uh, downtown Nashville? There's the Hermes statue that is on the Union Station. Union Station, okay. Right. Which I mean, has been obscured in advertisements I've been seeing lately, which is strange. They like they blank it out. Yeah, that is weird. So I don't know what that's about, but but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And uh, you know, I really like legend tripping. I really like getting on the ground and yeah. It has let just walking in the physical world, just like with, you know, meeting someone in the physical world, uh, has led me to discover more and go down, you know, all these different pathways of things I'm interested in than uh, it ever has just me sitting on the computer. You know, it's definitely get out, look up, look at architecture, learn your history around you. Yeah, don't be stuck in your phone all the time. Yeah, it'll it'll send you it'll send you down pretty interesting uh, pathways. Yeah, that's 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 definite. Um, what of there's also two. Um, I think the parking lot that we parked in was where Ben Allen's house was. Yeah, yeah. There's that new weird uh, binary hermetic style monument in front of the JW Marriott. That's pretty strange. And yeah, it was it was a good time. But uh, yeah, we we learned a lot from from Jay, and uh, it was pretty cool hanging out. Well, if anybody's interested in coming hanging out with us, let us know. If we can uh if you're a listener to the show and you wanna see this kind of little like tour of weird stuff in Nashville. There's um obelisks and pyramids and all kinds of interesting stuff. So Serfiel, he knows where all this stuff is. <laughs> the secrets. Yeah, all the secrets, all the secrets. Okay, guys. Well, that is it. Um, we are going to uh, next time. We've got some 
interesting shows in the pike. I'm not going to say too much about them. We've got fellow podcasters. We've got uh, people that are writing about the connections between entheogenic drugs and Freemasonry. Uh, we've got Bigfoot stuff coming up. So we're real excited to uh, be talking about some of that. And I'm going to be scheduling for July soon. And I've got some interesting guests and on the on that I'm thinking about getting on and maybe some things that are a little bit more unconventional for a conspiracy normal. Um also guys, uh Sophie, I'll tell everybody where they can find us on Patreon, the stuff that we have up. If you want to get access to a lot of great bonus content and help show your support, you can go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one time donation at conspiranormal.com. Yes, and to add on Patreon, you guys can get in for only $1. So if you want to listen to, I think there's like about 20-something short Patreon episodes. Some of them are a little not as short. Right. And uh, we've actually got, on the main feed, we've got another bonus episode coming up where we spoke to a listener. Yes. Or actually, that was, I think, well, actually, that would have been before what we're recording now. <laughs> it yeah. gets a little confusing sometimes. So that's probably already been up by the time you've heard this. But uh, we're going to be doing more of those bonus type episodes because we periodically, guys, we get listeners that want to come on the show. And I have been sticking those on to the main show as another interview. But I'm thinking now just to get other things on the feed, we want to do just more kind of listener related content. So if anybody out there has their own personal experiences and they want to speak to us and you guys can be on the show, have your own little bonus episode, just email us conspiranormal at gmail.com. And, uh, we'll talk about it or reach out to us on Facebook on the conspiranormal Facebook page. So reach out. Yep. I think that's it guys. And uh, we're going to close out the show and I want to thank Julie Ryan. I want to thank Surfiel here and, uh, we'll be back next week with more content on Conspiranormal. flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.